This was an interesting story that broke over the weekend, uh, thanks to the Canadian press. Why did Ottawa let Catholic entities off the hook for a promise to raise some $25 million for residential school survivors? Now, it's a legal question, so it's complicated. We have someone here who will explain it to us. But for seven years now, there have been questions as to why the federal government decided not to appeal a court decision that meant that Catholic entities didn't have to pay the remaining financial obligations under the Indian Residential School Settlement Agreement. That agreement obligated... 48 Catholic entities uh, involved to pay $79 million, which was broken into three parts, including making, quote, best efforts to raise $25 million for residential schools. Well, somehow that wasn't appealed when it was decided by a court in Saskatchewan that it wouldn't proceed. It didn't go on. And Canada, it turns out, forever discharged those entities from having to raise that money. So what happened? And they covered their legal costs, too. So what happened and what does it signify and was it an opportunity lost and should it be revisited? Joining me now is John Galis. He's a lawyer and founding partner at DGW Law Corporation, an adjunct professor at the University of Victoria and a member of the Haida Nation. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks, Ben. It's good to be with you. This was one of those stories that you sort of start to read through and try to make sense of, okay, what happened? Um Tell me about the significance of the agreement and where this $25 million best efforts to raise came from. Um, you know, it's a good question. I mean, it's um, it's part of a much larger settlement, you know, the Indian Residential School Settlement. And I think um, I think where things things kind of went sideways was really in the initial agreement. And, and this issue around best efforts, right, is, right. you know, basically, you know, the agreement was, well, we're going to try to raise $25 million over, over seven years. Um, but it's, it's hard legally to enforce, you know, such a, such a commitment. Mm-hmm. So rather than, um, you know, getting cash up front, and it's not like the Catholic Church is impecunious, um, you know, they agreed that um, they would try and, uh, try and raise $25 million. And my understanding was they had raised maybe $3 million, um, over the course of the agreement. And so from there, uh, I gather this ended up back in court, and, and, and the, the, the Catholic entities argued exactly what you argued, which is best efforts. What is, what is exactly, what exa- you know, we made our best efforts, so uh, there you have it. Well, it, you know, it's a little more nuanced than that. The issue, no the issue that was in the, um, the Saskatchewan Court of Queen's bench, and I, I went back and I looked at the, the decision uh, this afternoon, was around whether or not the, the lawyers for Canada and the church had reached a settlement. And so uh, there was some back and forth in terms of quantum. Um, and so they settled on 1.2 million in terms of the, the, the church paying Canada. And then the issue was, okay, well, in exchange for that 1.2 million, what do we get back? And so there was an issue in terms of what the extent of the release that Canada would be giving, basically saying, we're not going to come back after you for any further funds. Um, you know, in our view, um, you know, the agreement has been settled. And that was really what the court case was about. And the judge found, and it's kind of curious, it's a fairly short decision, um, but he found that a settlement had been reached, notwithstanding that nobody had signed any, you know, agreement, um, that between the lawyers, that basically they had settled all of the, the relevant terms. So it seemed, you know, and it's hard to Monday morning quarterback now, but it seemed that right. there was something that could have been appealed there, Um because there's this whole idea around, you know, did you have a, a consensus ad item? And, um, and it seemed fairly clear, uh, you know, as I say, to, to uh, an outsider 
that that they hadn't really settled on what the release was going to look like. Is it unfair to say that in this case, residential school survivors were are out, um, you know, twenty plus million dollars because this was never uh, enforced, or is that is that too is that too uh, so too simplistic a view of it all? Well, I think there certainly was an expectation, you know, that the church was going to was going to pony up. I think it was seventy five seventy nine million, right. you know, out of the out of the three pots, and um, you know, they've come up woefully short. Can it be reviewed? I mean, uh, the, the the quote that I saw from that Canadian press story, of course, uh, kudos to uh, the Canadian press. They got these documents. I don't think anyone had seen the final agreement, or at least it wasn't widely publicized. Uh, but this notion of forever discharge, is that is forever, forever in this case? Um, it seems it seems that that is the case, that by by abandoning the appeal that, um, you know, the, the uh, Court of Queen's bench decision stands. Is this, I mean, I, th- I think, and you talked about Monday morning quarterbacking and, you know, hindsight. I mean, clearly the the awareness of, of many people in this country to the horrors of the residential schools is beyond what it was in 2015. Um, looking back at this, do you think it, um, I mean, is it an example of anything? I mean, in this case, here was a, here was a, a judgment that was handed down for a significant amount of money to be given to survivors of these schools, and it, it, as you mentioned, it it's woefully short. It seems like there, I guess, there's no retribution or no, no restitution in this case. No, I think a solution is, uh, you know, probably either political or you know, in terms of what's going on right now with the, you know, the Pope's apology. Yeah. Well, thanks for clearing that up. It was one of those cases where you think, wait a second, that's, and they paid their legal fees as well, which I guess is not uh, unheard of, but they paid the legal fees as well, which is another thing that struck me as being a bit odd. But... Yeah. Um, I mean, usually, usually the loser pays a, a, a portion of the legal fees, but you, you usually don't get what we call full indemnity costs, but it sounds like that's what happened here. I wouldn't want you to speculate, but do you have any idea what have been, might have been going on behind the scenes? I gather that winning the appeal seemed, I mean, you mentioned there could be grounds, but that winning it might have been difficult, and they just started, decided that they were going to cut their losses at that point on legal advice, no doubt. Yeah, I'm sure they had, uh, you know, internal discussions, and, you know, probably there were, um, you know, quite a number of lawyers in the Department of Justice who, who, who looked it over and, and gave, you know, gave that advice. We're going to talk about, I mean, you've spent time at the Supreme Court, so I was interested to ask you this question. We're going to take a quick break and come back and give ourselves some more time to talk about it. I'm speaking with John Galis. He's a lawyer and founding partner, DGW Law Corporation, adjunct professor at the University of Victoria, a member of the Haida Nation. Um, On Friday, the Prime Minister announced the nomination of the first Indigenous justice to the country's Supreme Court. Uh, She's Ontario Supreme Court Judge Michelle Obonsawin, and uh, we'll find out more about what that means and what it represents, and a bit more about... uh, the judge herself after this. My name is Justice Michelle Obanswin. I am a judge in the Superior Court of Justice in Ottawa. I'm an Abenaki woman. I grew up off reserve in northern Ontario. My reserve is called Odenak. It's uh, in Quebec. I come from a small francophone community named Hanmer in northern Ontario. When I was nine years old, I decided I was going to be a lawyer. So when I announced this to my parents, it was quite the surprise for them because no one in my family uh, was ever a lawyer. When I was in high school, I met with my guidance counselor and I told him that I was going to be a lawyer. 
and he told me, well, Michelle, you come from a small French town in Northern Ontario, that's likely not to happen, so you should maybe change your career path. And I had decided, no, this is what I'm going to do. Watch me. Uh, great words there from uh, Judge Michelle Obonsawin. She is the nominee for the Supreme Court of Canada. The Prime Minister announced her nomination on Friday. My guest this half hour is John Galis. He's a lawyer and founding partner at DGW Law Corporation and adjunct professor at the University of Victoria and a member of the Haida Nation. Uh, John, what was it like to hear that news? On It's a great clip of, of, of Judge uh, Obonsawin there, but what was it like to hear that news uh, last week, late last week? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, obviously great news for, um, you know, as an Indigenous person and also somebody working in this area, you know, extensively for the last um, 25 years, you know, quite significant um, in terms of, uh, you know, most recent steps that, um, you know, the Liberal government has been taking in terms of increasing diversity on the bench. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, pretty much everyone I've talked to who, who works in this area is uh, is thrilled with uh, um, our new justice. Yeah, I mean, you've been in front of the Supreme Court many times. Um, as a jurist, what do you think she brings to the role? Um, you know, um, you know, I have to say I, I wasn't familiar with her uh, mm-hmm. before the announcement. Um, I, you know, looking at her biography, I don't think that she has, um, and perhaps she's had. You know, heard cases in the, you know, Aboriginal Indigenous field. I know that she taught um, at the University of Ottawa, but I think what she brings to the court is, um, you know, life experience, um, and I think that was something you know she made very clear in the the clip that you played. Um, you know, unlike perhaps some others who are you know judges who um, have a have quite a different life experience from say an Indigenous person or a person of color. Um, I get that was my other question as an indigenous woman on the highest court what uh, what value does she bring and and what what has been lacking I mean you've argued clearly in, in, in different she, she may not have experience in the kinds of cases that you've argued yep. uh, before the Supreme Court but just in terms of you mentioned her life experience but that was missing wasn't it from our highest court um, yeah in, in certain circumstances you'd have to say that when you've got um, you know oftentimes a you know in the law in the legal profession, it's um, you know people of privilege in, in a lot of cases who don't uh, you know have to experience racism and poverty and you know and and you know dealing with these sorts of issues and and you know certainly as a trial judge you know probably on a daily basis she's also dealing with these sorts of issues so I think what it does is um, uh, give some empathy but also some understanding of the issues that are facing. Um, you know, Indigenous people. For uh, for listeners who may not be fully familiar, or you know, for for a host who may not be fully familiar with just the intricacies of the court system, Indigenous cultures in this country, um, what is it like then to have what sort of what is it like to have a woman on the highest court? And Indigenous, so she explained her story. I mean, going into the guidance counselor's office, being told, you know, don't bother, you're not going to make it. And of course, here she is. Um, mm-hmm. I would imagine it, 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 you know, it would be, I mean, without, without waxing too poetic, that it would be a source of inspiration for all kinds of young women out there who look up on the bench, you know, the country's highest court and see her. Absolutely. Um, 
you know, I, I think that's, you know, incredibly significant. Um, you know, there's been, uh, you know, we had, we had Chief Justice McLaughlin, mm-hmm. um, who, who retired and then recently Justice Abella as well. So there's been a bit of a, um, it's sort of been a little more male dominated than in the past. It was a six, a six, three court. Now we're back to a five, four court in terms of, uh, uh, you know, males versus females on the court. So I think that's significant as well. When you've looked at the Supreme Court here, I mean, clearly there's always things, and this is sort of a more general question, but, you know, the politics of the U.S. always kind of spills over into our national dialogue. Um, do you think the governments, successive governments, have done a pretty good job of trying to maintain a political balance or at least depoliticize the, the Supreme Court in some way? I think so. Um, you know, I... You know, I have to say that uh, you know some of the appointments uh, under the uh, under the conservative government, I was I was skeptical about. But um, uh, you know, those those justices, I think, in, in in my mind, have turned out to be you know quite fair, and um, and in and in certain circumstances, you know, surprisingly, been you know the ones writing the majority judgment, um, you know, in favor of uh, you know indigenous people or or, or the downtrodden. Um, in this case, so in other words, we, we've actually seen a bit of a, a bit of a meritocracy on the bench, which is which is obviously what you what you want, and 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 this would be the case too. I gather that despite uh, you know a lack of, not too long uh, as a trial judge, she has been a trial judge now since twenty fifteen, as far as I know. That's quite a while, uh, twenty sixteen rather. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks so much. John Galis is a lawyer and founding partner of DGW Law Corporation and adjunct professor at the University of Victoria. Thank you so much for uh, filling us in on these two topics tonight. I appreciate it. Well, thanks. I appreciate it as well. Take care.